Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Strecker. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. There's this photo of Gerald Ford I really like. Well, mainly Gerald Ford's dog, but it's important that Ford is there. Ford looks tired in the photo. He is sitting at the Resolute desk and is reading something, but he doesn't look interested. Ford wasn't a popular president, and honestly, if he and I met, we probably wouldn't agree on much, or even like each other. But in this picture, I feel bad for him. It's very much a heavy-is-the-head-that-wears-the-crown kind of image. You can see that he's worn down by the enormity of his office, by the malaise of the 1970s, and probably by having to see Henry Kissinger on a regular basis. But he's not alone. With his right hand, Ford is reaching down to pet his golden retriever, named Liberty. Liberty, being a dog, is blissfully unaware of any of Ford's or America's troubles. She's smiling with a big doggy grin, and is delighting in the gentle hand of her human. A sunbeam plays across her face, and while Ford looks heavy and defeated, she appears to be sweetness and light. And she is a very good dog. Oh, a very good dog. Oh, Liberty, hello, you're a very good dog. Yes, the picture humanizes Ford, and Liberty is only one of dozens of presidential pets that we know of. All but two presidents, James K. Polk and the guy we have right now, Donald Trump, have had pets. By the way, apparently those two guys, Polk and Trump, are alike in a lot of ways. They both admire Andrew Jackson, they both don't care very much for Mexico, and they both apparently share a common disdain for cute, fluffy animal friends. But enough of them. They're terrible. We're not talking about them. We're talking about cute, fluffy animal friends. And going down a list of all the presidential pets would make for a prohibitively long podcast episode where I just listed off dogs and cats and horses and the rest of it, so I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to hit the highlights and offer a few superlatives and awards for various Oval Office animal buddies. And one note, a lot of presidents have received animals as diplomatic gifts from other countries. Teddy Roosevelt, for instance, was gifted a lion by the Emperor Melanik II of Ethiopia. In general, I'm not going to list those animals, with one big exception. Those animals that were gifted to presidents as diplomatic gifts usually lived out their lives in zoos as opposed to the White House. For these awards, we're talking about actual animals that lived with presidents and were real-life animal companions to the chief executive. I'm also going to make one mention of horses. Horses aren't really pets, but they're also kind of not not pets. I have never owned a horse. I don't really know how horses work. I am a city person. Anyway, I want to get the horse shout-out out of the way first, with an award for best presidential pet name. That goes to Ulysses S. Grant. Grant named his war horse Jeff Davis, as in Jefferson Davis, as in the President of the Confederacy. While Ulysses S. Grant was fighting and winning the Civil War, he named his mount 
a non-human creature with animal intelligence who obeyed him unquestionably after his enemy. And that's kind of a cool thing to do. So good on you, Ulysses S. Grant. And I'll bet Jeff Davis the horse was probably way better than Jeff Davis the person. Best other presidential pet name goes to James Garfield. He named his dog Vito. Best other other presidential pet name, though, goes to Benjamin Harrison, who owned two possums, or, if you like, opossums. The possums, or opossums, were named Mr. Reciprocity and Mr. Protection. At the time, protection and reciprocity were two big principles that the Republican Party was publicly trumpeting, and Harrison named his weird pet trash marsupials after his party's big marketing talking points. So, that's kind of neat. Also, back in the 1890s, people apparently had possums, or opossums, as pets. Benjamin Harrison, in addition to having weird marsupial trash things as pets, which, by the way, I am 100% in favor of, I used to have pet rats and they were great, is also our last president to have had a beard. We haven't had a bearded chief executive since 1893, and as a proud beard haver, I think that's a shame. But more on pets. Worst presidential pet names goes to Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson had a somewhat colorful personality, but one area where his personality lacked any color at all was when it came to beagle naming. He had a pair of beagles, whom he simply called him and her. These are highly uncreative names, and I don't really understand why you would do this to a pet, to just give them placeholder pronouns as opposed to colorful names. Pet names are a great opportunity for creativity, to have a weirdly named family member. My cat is named Zergling. My wife and I are his overlords. But Johnson had these beagles named him and her, and at one point, Johnson caused something of a controversy by holding him up by his ears on camera. Dog lovers from across the U.S. let Johnson know that you really shouldn't do that. You really shouldn't grab a dog by their ears and hoist them up and make them pose for a photograph. Johnson apologized, but he also said, quote, I've been pulling him's ears ever since he was a pup and he seems to like it, unquote. Not a good look, LBJ. Not a good look. Most dubious pets. That award, of sorts, goes to Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson is best known for being one of the U.S.'s worst presidents. He's a big part of the reason why Reconstruction went all cattywampus, and he spent a lot of his time mollycoddling the old Confederacy and reversing a lot of the good stuff that happened during and after the Civil War. And his impeachment was probably very well deserved, but we're not talking about that. He didn't have any pets in the traditional sense, but he did apparently feed mice he found in the White House. He called them the Little Fellows, apparently much to the chagrin of his wife, who kept putting out poison and mouse traps and cats to kill the mice. We have no idea if Mrs. Johnson was actually successful in getting rid of her husband's rodent pseudopets, but in this instance, Johnson is busy being a racist, ruining the country, and getting impeached. Let's give him 
this one thing. Let's give him his weird little mice. I hope they made it. Most on-brand presidential pets, James Buchanan. Buchanan also ranks near the bottom of presidential rankings, but he's an interesting case in that he was almost certainly America's first gay president. So there's that. But he also had a very presidential pair of pets in that he had literal bald eagles as his pets. The eagles were a gift from a family friend, and they didn't live with him in the White House very long. Apparently, the eagles didn't much care for the area around Washington, D.C., so Buchanan moved them to his home in Pennsylvania, where the eagles had room to fly around on his property and lived in a birdhouse on Buchanan's back porch. But still, he was a president. He had pet bald eagles. He had America birds as a pet. That's pretty cool, honestly. Best Presidential Cat Person. That award goes to Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln loved cats because he was smart and cats are great. He had several. He was known to sometimes feed them with forks while at dinner, which Mary Todd found embarrassing, which she shouldn't have because that sounds cute and adorable. He also frequently brought home stray cats and fed those. Mary Todd Lincoln referred to her husband's habit of finding and rescuing errant felines as his hobby, and Lincoln frequently battled with depression and found his cats to be a source of great comfort during times of stress. One admiral, David Porter, reportedly overheard Lincoln say to his pet kitties, quote, Kitties, thank God you are cats and can't understand this terrible strife that is going on, unquote. And earlier when I was talking about animals humanizing people in power, that right there is what I was talking about. Abraham Lincoln, in the midst of one of the worst periods of America's history, getting a bit of comfort from petting cats. Lincoln also had a cat named Dixie, and once said that she was smarter than my whole cabinet. I don't know if that was supposed to be an insult for his cabinet or a compliment for his cat, but it works both ways. Lincoln wasn't limited to just cats, though. He was bipartisan. He also had a dog named Fido. I've mentioned this before, but that's a great dog name. It means faithful. So, the next time you hear or see a dog named Fido, don't think of it as generic. Think of it as a name reflecting one of the best qualities of doggos. And realize that that dog is named after our 16th president's dog. And that's not nothing. So, special award for a pet well-matched to its president's personality goes to Andrew Jackson. Now, getting into Jackson's whole uh, deal here would be a lot, but he seems to have been a pretty unpleasant person, both personally and politically. He was in several duels throughout his life and is one of the few presidents that we know to have personally killed people. Plenty of presidents have killed people, but, you know, usually they use armies or airplanes or whatever to do it. Jackson is one of the only presidents to have killed people, you know, with a gun he was holding and pulled the trigger on. Uh, he also was, you know, responsible for expelling the Cherokee from their homes in Georgia and the surrounding area. And that whole trail of tear things, that's on him. So, not great. But he also had a parrot, which he apparently taught to swear. 
the way people found out about Andrew Jackson's swearing parrot was that the foul-mouthed fowl was at his funeral for some reason. And during the solemnity of Jackson's funeral, the bird began saying bad words and had to be removed. It seems totally appropriate that Andrew Jackson, a guy who really liked violence, would teach his bird to swear. That seems kind of on brand. Unfortunately, I really tried to find this out. No one recorded what swear words the bird actually said at Jackson's funeral. We don't know what choice cuss words were uttered by the animal, but I really hope that they were like archaic old-timey ones, like balderdash or poppycock or something like that. Moving on. Best Attempted Presidential Pets goes to Martin Van Buren. In 1837, Kabul al-Said, the Sultan of Oman, decided to send a president to Martin Van Buren for his inauguration. The Sultan, apparently, was really good at giving gifts because Van Buren absolutely loved what the Sultan sent him. He sent two fuzzy, cute, apex predator babies, a pair of tiger cubs, and Van Buren fully intended to keep the tigers as pets in the White House. Congress was not okay with this. They found that if Van Buren kept the tigers, that that would be a violation of the Constitution's Emoluments Clause. So they decided he couldn't keep fancy pets that were a gift from another head of state. The tigers, Congress said, belonged to the U.S. government, not to the president personally. Van Buren had to give the tigers to a zoo in Washington, D.C. But I don't think that's the real issue. I mean, the emoluments clause is important at all. But really, imagine this. Imagine if congressmen back in Van Buren times had to go visit the White House for some kind of negotiation, and they're there, and sitting across from them is the President of the United States, flanked by a loyal pair of pet tigers, and he's petting them like, you know, he's a Bond villain or something. Imagine that. I imagine many members of Congress were, and that's not something that they wanted to behold. The Emoluments Clause to the Rescue. All right, award for most pets. That goes to Calvin Coolidge. Now, I know what you're thinking. You probably thought Theodore Roosevelt was going to have the most pets. TR did have a lot of them. He gets the silver medal in the pet hoarding event. Bonus, Roosevelt seems to be the only president to have owned a lizard. He also had a snake. But a lot of the animals that Roosevelt brought back were animals he found on safari when he was out being a manly man, shooting things and having a mustache and doing all of that. And most of those animals that he brought home ended up in zoos. They weren't companion animals that lived with him in the White House. Calvin Coolidge and his wife Grace were known to have had at least 12 dogs, two cats, several birds, a pair of raccoons, a donkey, and a bobcat. And yes, this bobcat is an animal that Coolidge received as a gift from the Great Smoky Mountain Association of Tennessee. And initially, Calvin and Grace decided that it would be kind of neat to have a bobcat live with them and their menagerie in the White House. However, getting a bobcat to live with a house full of people 
dogs, two raccoons, a bunch of birds, and a donkey didn't work out. So the large feral kitty had to go live in a zoo. But still, most pets, Calvin Coolidge. And by the way, Coolidge wasn't known for being too sociable. People called him Silent Cal. Just a hunch, but it seems the guy liked dogs more than he liked people. Which, you know, totally legitimate. I get it. But last one, this is a big one. Most notable presidential pet goes to FDR. You probably saw this one coming. And I don't want to say best here because they're all very good dogs and very good non-dogs. So let's go for most notable when we're talking about the big one. Franklin Roosevelt's Scottish Terrier, Fala, followed him nearly everywhere he went, including to press conferences and cabinet meetings. When Roosevelt was talking to reporters or members of Congress or his inner circle, Fala was also there. That little dog was privy to so many state secrets during World War II. And imagine that today. Imagine the president coming out, doing a press conference, and his dog is just kind of hanging out at the podium with him. Imagine Obama coming out while petting Bo and giving a press conference like that. Imagine Bill Clinton doing a press conference while he was holding Socks the Cat and just having a cat the whole time. They just don't do that anymore. But apparently Roosevelt did. His dog was just nearly always with him. Fowler was also the subject of a minor scandal. Some members of Congress accused Roosevelt of abandoning his dog on an Alaskan island and then dispatching a U.S. Navy destroyer to go and fetch the abandoned Scottish Terrier. Roosevelt shot back at these accusations in a speech where he said, quote, Those Republican leaders have not been content with attacks on me or my wife or on my sons. No, not content with that. They now include my little dog, Fala. Well, of course, I don't resent attacks, and my family don't resent attacks, but Fala does resent them. You know, Fala is Scotch, and being a Scotty, as soon as he learned that the Republican fiction writers in Congress had concocted a story that had left him behind on an Aleutian island and had sent a destroyer back to find him at a cost to taxpayers of two or three or eight or twenty million dollars, his Scotch soul was furious. He has not been the same dog since. I am accustomed to hearing malicious falsehoods about myself, but I think I have a right to resent, to object, to libelous statements about my dog. Unquote. That right there is some pretty good shade. Uh, Roosevelt died in 1945, and his little dog went on to survive him by seven years. Apparently, like Hachiko and many other dogs, the Scottish Terrier never stopped waiting for FDR to come home. In her autobiography, Eleanor Roosevelt had this to say of the Scotty after FDR's death. She wrote, quote, It was Fala, my husband's little dog, who never really readjusted. Once in 1945, when General Eisenhower came to lay a wreath on Franklin's grave, the gates of the regular driveway were opened and his automobile approached the house accompanied by the wailing of sirens and a police escort. When Fala heard the sirens, his legs straightened out, his ears pricked up, and I knew that he expected to see his master coming down to drive, as he had come so many times. Later, when we were living in the cottage, 
Fala always lay near the dining room door, where he could watch both entrances, just as he did when his master was there. Franklin would often decide suddenly to go somewhere, and Fala had to watch both entrances in order to be ready to spring up and join the party on short notice. Fala accepted me after my husband's death, but I was just someone to put up with until his master should return. Unquote. Fala died in 1952. He's buried next to the president, one of the few presidential pets to be honored so. Today, he's also the only presidential pet who's been memorialized. The Franklin D. Roosevelt Memorial in Washington, D.C. features an immense bronze statue of the president with a smaller bronze statue of the Scottish Terrier next to him. The Terrier was his constant companion in life, and now his constant companion at his memorial. But why does any of this matter? Well, it doesn't. This is a silly topic. I really just wanted to talk about how nice dogs and cats are because I like them. But presidential pets are a good way to remind us that powerful people are human. Let's go back to that picture of Gerald Ford with his happy golden retriever. One of the reasons why that photograph is so charming is that Liberty is an innocent in the halls of power. She's in the Oval Office, laying next to the most powerful man in the world, but what really truly thrills her is the act of being petted and sitting in the sunlight. If you're President of the United States, being President of the United States is going to affect pretty much all your relationships, even familial ones. Everybody will see you as the president or the former president, and you're never on equal ground with anyone ever, really. Pets, though, don't care that you're president. They have no knowledge about the stresses or enormity or the institutions of human life. For dogs, cats, horses, possums, their humans are merely their companions, no matter their station in life, and no matter what is happening in human events, be it war, strife, or economic malaise. For Liberty the Golden Retriever, Gerald Ford wasn't president. He was just her guy. And I can see how that small freedom from power could be liberating for Gerald Ford. That was one relationship where he could just be a person. That dog only saw his humanity. That dog didn't see anything else, and she loved him for it. Here's something great, though. You don't have to be president to experience that. Your dog, your cat, your pet snake or hamster or whatever, they don't know about the details of your job or business or about the politics that is stressing you out. They don't know about how your personal life is maybe a garbage fire and it makes you cry. They don't know anything about that. They simply want you to be present and there for them in all the ways that a human being can be for a dog, a cat, a pet snake, or a hamster, or whatever. That is one of the major joys of having a pet, be they presidential or otherwise. This, as always, is a listener-supported podcast. We are supported by all of you every month, and if you wish to become a monthly supporter, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Speaking of which, we have a shiny new site, and I have to give a big shout-out to Upswept Creative 
for making an amazing website for this show. They're over at upswiftcreative.com if you want to check out their work. We couldn't do this podcast without them. Thank you, Upswept. You're amazing. Uh, also, if you wish to support the podcast in other ways, go over to Apple Podcasts. Give us ratings and reviews. Stars and words help other people find a show. If you want to follow me on social media, and you should, I am on Twitter, at J-O-E-S-T-R-E-C-K-E-R-T, at Joe Streckert. And the show is on Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you next time. Dogs and cats are great. Bye. (laughs) 